Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. I'm your host and Alter's head of platform, Jana Yasevich. I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, investor and friend, Marcial Gonzalez Fraga. Originally from Buenos Aires, Marcial led the consumer credit strategy at Mercado Libre, LATAM's biggest publicly traded e commerce platform, before joining VC Fund Latitude to invest in early stage founders. Marcial also happens to be the most LinkedIn active person I know, posting new ideas and sharing industry news daily. Today, we'll talk about how Marcial ended up in venture capital, what he sees as his superpower working with founders, and what his version of balance looks like. I can't wait for you all to hear this deeply sincere and open conversation, which left me so full of energy and passion. And I hope it does the same for you, whether you're an aspiring founder or someone interested in breaking into VC and LATAM. Enjoy. Welcome to Venture Boldly, an Alter podcast. Each week, we host inspiring conversations with game-changing entrepreneurs, investors, and operators, building and scaling the tech ecosystems of Latin America, South and Southeast Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. At Alter Global, we are a different kind of Silicon Valley venture capital firm. Beyond returns, we are guided by a belief in the power of tech unicorns rather than traditional foreign aid to completely transform nations. Our founders are role models in the making, catalyzing the next wave of ventures in their communities. Our entrepreneurs are not just building their companies, they're building their countries. Marcial, before we kick off, I feel like I have to acknowledge that we're recording just before the World Cup semifinals that Argentina's playing in. Tell me the truth, how much of your attention do we have today? <laughs> Yana, you have the bare minimum. And apologies to the audience if I go into football analogies or something like that, because it's the only thing <laughs> that I can think of. And it's the only thing that I've been able to do over the last three weeks. <laughs> It's a very exciting time, but thank you for the disclosure. We'll be prepared. To kick us off, really, it would be wonderful to learn a little bit more about you. So if you can share with us a bit about your upbringing, your schooling, childhood, your first jobs, and really how they got you here to acting as an investor in early stage entrepreneurs in Latin America with Latitude. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. Regarding my upbringing, to me, it looked like a very normal childhood, but then I realized that it was not. So I'm the youngest of seven. This meant that I always had to fight for a seat at the table because being the youngest, they sent me to bed really early and everybody kept going at the table in the typical sobremesa that we have in Hispanic Latin America. So in order for me to earn a spot at the table, I became obsessed with accumulating knowledge and fun facts. My favorite book was the Guinness World Record that I just came up with a new record every dinner and shared with the family. Do you remember any, by the way? I, you're putting me on the spot, but I remember always going about the heaviest person alive and trying to keep that updated <laughs> as it progressed. And then every sports achievement and the fastest person and the longest runner and the highest jumper. 
everything was in my database that is now not working very, very well. I don't have any more RAM left there. <laughs> I was always a very good student. Very similar. The analogy would be like the kid that looks like a little angel and then doesn't do the homework, but it's impossible to fail. So that would be me during my, my high school and, and primary school. And then I went on to study economics following my father's footsteps, who is like my role model and also like a very well-known economist in Argentina. So I wanted to follow his footsteps. Let's see, what else can I share? My first job was at consulting. I loved the methodology, but I hated the clients. We were hired by oil and gas companies doing, they wanted our help to do things that I never wanted to do again. So I very quickly quit. I think I lasted three months at the job and I moved on to Mercado Libre and I discovered how a fast growing tech company operates and I loved it. From there, I transitioned within the company to a new role where I was tasked with the go-to market of this consumer credit solution. I knew nothing about consumer credit. I knew nothing about growth, but I'm very perseverant, Diana. So my job was basically to persevere in the direction that they were telling me to go. And I did that for two years and it was amazing. It was fascinating to see something growing so quickly and getting such amazing feedback from the customers. And that made me feel invincible. Hmm. And so I decided, okay, what does an invincible person do? Well, they become an entrepreneur, but I had no idea to be an entrepreneur in what. So I decided to quit my job. And for six months, my main task was to interview entrepreneurs and understand what they were like, what problems they were facing. What could I help them with? And the whole idea was to discover what I was going to be an entrepreneur in. And my two main realizations were that, A, I was not at their standard at all. They were a hundred times more qualified than I was to build stuff or to hire people or to <laughs> figure out their companies. But the other thing that I realized is that my ikigai or my reason of being in this Japanese concept was that the amount of fulfillment that I got from helping Latin American entrepreneurs with their companies was something that I had never felt before. And then the question that I asked myself was, okay, how can I make a living out of helping entrepreneurs? And venture capital was kind of the answer. And that happened two years ago. And ever since, this is the pond where I feel energized. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what an organic, I think, natural, exciting journey it's been for you. And to what you're sharing about Ikigai, there's something so incredible and powerful about figuring out for yourself individually what that superpower is. Because if you can have the awareness and the ability to tune into when you feel most fulfilled and when you feel like you can deliver the most value to something and then make it a part of what you do every day, it's an incredible feeling that's unlocked, an incredible potential also that then you have to make meaningful impact on something. So it's amazing that you've been able to find that and now incorporate it into your day-to-day. -day. Having, I don't know if found my Ikigai, maybe it'll change, maybe I'll find something else in a couple of years, but it allows me to not take myself too seriously on my day-to-day -day and be able to pursue things that I believe are 
bigger than myself and just go all in at it with all of my energy. And it's really a nice balance, even though it's not balanced at all, but it's something nice to move forward. Yeah. Well, you know, I learned this originally from my family, but I've now over time seen it to be true in my own work, which is that when you can find what that is for yourself and make it what you spend the majority of your time working on every day, your definition of work changes and how you relate to it as this huge part of your life shifts as well. It it transitions from something that you have to do and maybe have moderate enjoyment of to something that just feels like an exciting part of your day every day that it's a gift and a privilege to be able to do. So I resonate with that a lot. Actually, I think this transitions us really well into learning a little bit more about Latitude. So tell us about the organization, the mission, and what your scope of work entails. For sure. So Latitude was founded about two years ago. At the time of this recording, we're in December 2022. And two years ago or so, Brian Reckworth, alongside Gina Gotthilf and Yuri Danilchenko, they diagnosed something that we all knew but nobody wanted to take a stab at, which is that founders in Latin America face a really challenging job just to get their startups up and running. And so they founded Latitude with the mission of elevating the startup ecosystem as we know it in Latin America. Fast forward two years, the shape that Latitude is taking right now, we can understand it or we're trying to be this operating system for Latin American startups. It's a partner that helps you with technology, education, and capital to avoid the many costly mistakes that you can do when you're starting off your startup. So we take the example of Brian when he was building Viva Real, the company to which he exited at $600 million back in 2019. He had to pay $100 million in taxes because he was not incorporated the right way. If we can avoid this mistake for every entrepreneur that comes after Brian in Latin America, then we're earning this space that we want to occupy in the ecosystem. So when you look at Latitude right now, you see three pillars. The first pillar is around education. We are educating the next generation of entrepreneurs from Latin America through an equity-free fellowship where they not only learn from us and the mentors that we find for them, but they help each other because it's very likely that if I handpick an entrepreneur from Latin America, that they are super knowledgeable about certain topics and completely ignorant about others. But if I pull together a hundred founders into a cohort or into a community, the chances that founder A can help founder B on a certain topic and the other way around are really high. And our role is to unlock that willingness from founders to help each other so that everybody becomes a stronger founder in Latin America. And these fellowships have been running great over the last two years. And now we're taking it a step further and we have launched a fellowship for angel investors. Why? Because founders were telling us that they're struggling to get angel checks and the angels had different concerns and they were conservative and not wanting to make mistakes. And now we're educating this generation of angels. And if we combine the two, then we're really adding value to that 
early stage ecosystem. That is the first pillar around education. The second pillar is around technology. We are building a startup. So Latitude is a startup, first and foremost. And this startup looks to solve problems for early stage founders. I mentioned the incorporation aspect. So we've basically reverse engineered all of the work that lawyers do around incorporations. And we're now making it available in a fast, agile, cost-effective process where we help founders avoid making the mistakes that could be very costly down the line. And the third pillar of Latitude is venture capital. Why? Well, we're seeing amazing deals. We're helping with whatever it is that we can. And we believe that it made sense to embed a venture capital arm within Latitude to invest, not necessarily in the best, because I'm a firm believer as a venture capitalist that I have no idea what I'm picking and what's going to be a great company and what isn't. But we have a, a thesis that, that we're pursuing and what we want to do is invest in a lot of founders in Latin America. So our investment strategy is kind of like to index the market because we believe that the region as a whole is going to 10x in the next decade. And we want to be a driving agent of change of that early stage ecosystem in Latin America by investing as early as possible, by supporting a lot, primarily with fundraising, and by basically being the beacon of visibility and awareness for these startups in Latin America. And that is why, Yana, I post, and I'm so annoying on LinkedIn, just <laughs> posting and posting and posting and posting because it's really important to me to tell the story of Latin America and the Latin American startup ecosystem to a larger audience. No, absolutely. It's incredibly powerful and frankly, super exciting, I think, because the focus that we're seeing on Latin America as an ecosystem and in particular, investing VC dollars into it is very new. We've seen 2021 be the hottest year of activity to date. But aside from that, honestly, we've just scratched the tip of the iceberg. And there's an incredible amount of education left to also do to the global investor ecosystem and just VC as a whole about Latin America's potential and how to also understand the nuances of investing in Latam, how to understand which sectors are the right ones to focus on initially, how to understand how, for example, Argentina's political climate plays into its entrepreneurial ecosystem or Brazil's economic climate or anything else. You know, it's incredibly vast territory that we're talking about that has been given very little attention to date, but has a bounty of opportunity. And so I find that we're really lucky actually to be in this scope of work where we're starting to tap into that much earlier. And I totally get wanting to yell that from the rooftops. Although at the same time, we don't want to bring too many people in because we're both VCs investing and let them. We got to keep some of it for ourselves. <laughs> That's correct. It's very tricky to find the right timing to share the deals. And when you spot an amazing founder and it's like, Give me a little time to assess the deal. <laughs> at the end of 2021, this was really tricky. And we've committed, I believe we both committed some sins of venture capital of just jumping into a hot deal without doing the proper work. But at the end of the day, there's, I think, Latin America in this world market that, let's say, that ended in Q1 
even though we're now facing, of course, this bear market and it's not everything is not sunshine and rainbows, I'm a firm believer that we crossed the chasm or we reached an inflection point where we were able to, dem- we as a region, I didn't demonstrate anything, but we were able to demonstrate as a region that we can systematically create great companies. And it's not just a couple of outliers like the Mercado Libres or the Globans or the new banks that kind of arise because they are like black swans that tapped into the market at the right time with the right team and it will never happen again. Now we're seeing companies coming up with replicable methodologies or benchmarks or structures and we're demonstrating to the world that the talent is there and that the companies will come up. So hopefully we can, at the end of the day, I would be willing to sacrifice a part of the pie if we can make that pie a hundred times bigger. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. And I think actually working with emerging market founders in particular has been incredibly inspiring to me in the sense that I think all of us, the VCs that invest in Latam, the founders themselves, other ecosystem players that are supporting entrepreneurs, we all share this perspective that it's not a zero-sum game. It's not a matter of one or two or even 10 companies succeeding and the rest not being able to because there is limited opportunity. It really is an ecosystem of, of mutual support and collaboration. And that's why I think that the work that Latitude is doing of connecting these people together and creating more transparency and room for collaboration is really exciting. Yeah. To add to that, internally, we say that a rising tide lifts every boat and we want to be part of that rising tide. So hopefully we can help entrepreneurs beyond the fact of whether or not we end up incorporating them or we end up investing in them. What we tell entrepreneurs is that you have a better chance of fundraising from, let's say, a U.S. VC. If that VC, the previous times that he or she spoke with a Latin American entrepreneur, if the pitch went right, if the founder was prepared, if they understood their markets and how to pitch and how to raise money, that ends up creating this buy-in from international players into the region. And we want to help promote that in whatever way we can. We just started. It's just the first minute of the first game of the semifinals of the World Cup. No, just kidding. (laughs) No, I agree with you. Absolutely. And so diving on a little bit deeper into that, from my seat, I'm not sure that you have a job that can easily be distilled down into a couple of areas of focus, but can you maybe give us an overview of what role you play at Latitude and how you're engaging with entrepreneurs? What does that look like for you? Sure. So I'm a bit of a jack of all trades within the ventures team. My main tasks include assessing the teams from Hispanics markets. That's basically Latin America without Brazil. And then primarily, my job consists in adding value to the founders of the portfolio, which I could do 24-7, but don't tell my team, please. If you're listening, this has been edited and changed. These are not my words. (laughs) But I could work with founders and help them out 24-7 with whatever it is that's within my reach, whether it is help them with fundraising. I'm better than many when it comes to storytelling and communication so I can help them craft the deck and the pitch and, and the strategy. 
When it is available from my end, I help them with growth strategies. But my, I would say the way in which I add value is by connecting the dots in their favor. Sometimes venture capitalists, we have the opportunity to see everything from a bird's eye view and be able to facilitate. Because when we start to meddle and we start to give our opinion on things, we might make the mistake of not realizing that we might be, let's say, overemphasized or that they will pay more attention to what we say than they actually should. So I try to be conscious of that bias and just play the role of connecting the dots in favor of the entrepreneurs. And that will be mostly of my day to day. And also, of course, sending memes and weird things in the company. <laughs> well, to that, I think that Latitude does an amazing job both on an individual level, but also as a community and a company on its own in really spreading a lot of awareness and connecting different groups of people. So maybe would you mind sharing with us some of the ways in which Latitude engages with all of its members of its community, be it the, the newsletter, some of the demo days that you do? Just tell us a little bit about that. So we're at a point where we're trying everything and seeing what works. We started with webinars. The webinars transitioned into a fellowship where the founders come and they have sessions every day. Then as we start to graduate people from the fellowship into the community, we realized, hey, we have to do stuff for the community. So we started creating sessions and events for the community. There's an event today in Mexico City for the founders of Mexico City. We do beer pongs with founders and we get them together because we want to create that serendipity, that catalyst of founders. And we do that through a lot of events. Then, of course, we hosted the Vamos Latam Summit in September of 2022 in Sao Paulo. And we're going to be hosting one in March in Mexico City. We will let you know about that when it's due time. And then when it comes to also communicating with a lot of our stakeholders, we have amazing newsletters. Shout out to the content team on producing the only newsletter that I read, basically, I'm going to be transparent with that. I don't read too many newsletters, but this one makes me crack. And I need to read it to make sure that there's not a quote of something that, that I said that I'm ashamed of. And <laughs> let's see what else we have. Well, Brian wrote a book as well. So we're very big about creating content and making sure that people realize uh, or hear our, our story. And then when it comes to the venture capital side of things, we run demo days. Nobody told us to run demo days and we just went ahead to start doing them, even though it takes a lot of work to get everything lined up. But like, this is bigger than us. And this is a perfect vehicle that we found to be super useful to make it easy for international VCs to get a pulse of what's happening in the region every two or three months. So demo days are going great. In the last demo day, Tommy, my boss and partner, made the mistake of letting me be the master of ceremonies of Demo Day. I doubt that that will happen again, but I really enjoyed it whilst I had the chance. And in those Demo Days, we can bring into the call about 400 VCs that are not from Latin America. And the fact that we can do that is, to me, remarkable. And finally, I do want to mention that we just published a report on the industry where we spent about 
10 months working with a team of over 20 experts, consultants, MBA students, and founders crafting a 400-slide report on everything you need to know about Latin America, basically. And the repercussion that we had from that report, we cannot believe it. And we don't know if we're going to do it again or when or how, but we're realizing that we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all of the things that we can do to position Latin America. And by definition, if we position Latin America, we're going to be positioning latitude. And it makes more sense to try to position Latin America and to have that serve as a catapult to position latitude than to make it the other way around. So we're part of something bigger. And in that report that you can find in latitude.com, you're going to find the market size of different industries, of different verticals. You're going to find interviews with founders. You're going to find analysis. You're going to find the latest deals. And we did that for two reasons. The first reason why we created the reports is that we wanted to empower entrepreneurs from Latin America to have the tools that they actually need in order to calculate their TAMs and their SAMs and Mm -hmm. their SOMs because we keep seeing things all over the place. So we wanted to help them with that. But my main motivation for the reports was that now investors no longer have an excuse for not investing in Latin America or for not understanding the region. If you have the right questions, you're going to find the answers in the report. Or hopefully, even better, you're going to leave the report with even better questions to go and ask and challenge why Latin America. So we're hoping that everybody in the ecosystem can benefit from that. And then we will see, we will co-create a new report, everybody together, people giving us feedback that we not only take the feedback, but then we make them part of the next report. And at the end of the day, Latitude could be seen as a company trying to do a lot of things, but I would rephrase it to being a platform where people that want to contribute to the LATAM ecosystem can find the space, the tools, and the advice to do so. And and we're just enabling that via a lot of flywheels that are kicking in, in favor of entrepreneurs, that are kicking in favor of venture capitals, that are kicking in favor of people that want to find a job. So we're enabling that. Amazing. Thank you for diving into it in such depth. And we'll make sure to link the report in the show notes. If you can think of maybe one or two examples of pieces of information or insights or market trends that are in the report that you think are either especially powerful or perhaps surprising for people to learn, can you share them with us? Sure. I'm thinking of one related to digital banking and in particular, Nubank, because we keep seeing in Latin America how we take proven business models from the US or from Europe, and we tropicalize them and adapt them to Latin America. But we're never the leaders of the categories or of the spaces. And however, in Nubank, we're seeing what seems maybe from the outside as a tropicalized business model. But actually, we have like the largest digital bank in the world, with a unique approach, with a profitable model, being born from Latin America, now being replicated in other regions of the world. So that to me is fascinating. That's point number one. And then the second point that I would note as a whole across industries is that we've been seeing that, sure, entrepreneurs are driving innovation, but there wouldn't be success cases if the markets don't adapt. 
And what we're seeing is across the board, a shift from the consumers, from SMEs, from corporations or enterprises, that they're starting to adopt technology at a higher pace than before. And that's creating the tailwind that entrepreneurs need to foster the innovation that, that they are proposing. We see that in healthcare. We see that in e-commerce adoption. We see how people are getting themselves in the financial system by maybe taking their first loan, not from a bank, but from a little startup or opening their first account or starting to invest in the stock market or something like that by having this sort of, I don't know how to say it in English, but in Spanish, we have this word maridaje, when you pair a wine with an amazing food. And mm. we're starting to see this maridaje between entrepreneurs and the market when it comes to technology adoption, that as a venture capitalist, it's emotional to even watch and see how things start to catch and how the product market fit is really impeccable. So I'm super happy to be seeing that on my day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's really exciting. We look for that a lot too. And it's very interesting, I think, also to observe these trends globally, because even for similar business models that we invest in, in different parts of the world, say, for example, logistics digitization. And to that end, we've invested in a company that does it in Colombia called Melon, one that is focused on it in Egypt called Flextalk, and one that focuses on it in Indonesia called Shipper. And the core premise might be similar, which is building really the infrastructure for e-commerce fulfillment and logistic digitization in markets that honestly to date don't have it as built out yet. But there are still so many nuances that are specific to those markets and that vary vastly from anything that we see in the U.S. or Europe. And I think it's really important to understand those differences and those nuances and respect them. Because if you were to just simply copy and paste a lot of models, they don't work in the same way. And I share your excitement for also starting to see unique business models develop within an emerging market first and then gain greater traction globally. So it's an exciting progression, I think. And we're starting to see examples of companies that are being born in Latin America and going global and taking the world by storm and demonstrating that we can do it. Yeah. In Argentina, we have this example of a company called Out Zero that changed the game for KYC and onboarding. And we recently also invested in a Uruguayan startup challenging the what we know about cybersecurity and, and going all at it, which is fascinating to see because founders now believe to the core that they can do it. And they are dreaming even bigger than they were dreaming before. And that is one of the changes that 2021 taught us, which is that we can dream even bigger. And now... Well, let's see if we can navigate the waters. But before there were very few entrepreneurs heading into the open sea. And now we have a lot of entrepreneurs heading into that open sea. So it makes a lot of sense to be rooting for them and to do whatever it is that we can to help that ecosystem. Absolutely. This next question that I want to ask you is honestly always interesting to get different VC's perspectives on because every investor looks for something a little bit different and also has their own unique hook. 
But I think it's especially relevant right now, given the macroeconomic climate that we're in. And the question is for founders that are looking for funding at this time, what is a piece of advice that you would recommend, be it a metric to focus on, a way to frame their pitch, or anything else? Sure. I give a session on storytelling during the fellowship, and it's really important for founders to understand the power law. And the power law in venture capital, or applied to venture capital, states that a very few group of founders and companies are going to produce the outsized returns for the industry. And if you take this, and also the other truth that all venture capitals know is that most startups die. So when you combine the fact that most startups die and that very few startups are going to produce these outsized returns, it becomes rational to dream and plan as big as you can possibly fathom and to not try to play it small. And so in this session, I basically teach founders or provoke founders to think about their pitch in three key steps. The first step is that they need to make sure that the VC or the the investor on the other side empathizes with the problem that you're solving. It's impossible for the investor to invest if they don't empathize with the problem that you're solving. So this is where just having maybe one problem slide where you flick through because you want to get to the product, the product is not important at this point in time. I'm talking super, super early stage. Why? Because the product is going to change. The product is just one potential angle to tap into this problem that is worth solving. And once you've established that this problem is worth solving, you need to go to a crucial aspect, which is to demonstrate that a billion dollar opportunity can arise in this space. Not necessarily that your company is going to be a billion dollar business, but demonstrate that by tapping into this problem and going at it, at it, at it with perseverance, with the right team, with making mistakes, but keep iterating and going at it, that a big, big business can be born. And there you can go into benchmarks. You can go into a very pristine top-down market size analysis, or you can show your traction and how you're starting to get what to me is the third aspect, which is how strong are your signals that you're going to be this billion-dollar opportunity arising in this space. Because if you properly demonstrated that this is a problem worth solving and that a billion-dollar business is going to be born in this space, what you just did with those two premises is you've implanted a seed in the investor's head that this is a space worth investing on. And once you've established this, now it's the time to make your case on why your startup is the right one to invest in. And here's where you go into why the team is unique or why you have a particular insight on the product or on the solution or on the business model. But I see a lot of the times founders just jumping or telling their pitch in a chronological order. I tell you the problem. I tell you the solution. I tell you the market. I tell you the... And that doesn't get it going because you become part of the pack. And here we're in the business of outliers. So you need to be an outlier, either in the way in which, hopefully because you have the experience of an outlier, or because you're tapping into an opportunity that only outliers find or spot. But then, even if you have all of that, you still have to go into the arena 
and fight and battle it out for even 30 minutes or 60 minutes or, or something where you have to demonstrate to the investor that you're an outlier. Because VCs, we cannot invest in very good teams, in very good problems, in very good something. There has to be an outlier component to it because every company that hits that power line becomes that outlier company. They have outlier signals when they're starting off. And as the other thing that we know that most startups die, well, then being very good isn't good enough. And founders should know this, take it to heart and make sure that they go out of their way to try to show and shine the light on themselves on why they are the outlier company that they're trying to build. Because the only strategy to move forward in venture capital is to consistently be part of this outlier pack. And in the earliest stages, you have the blessing and the curse that the traction is not so relevant, that it's about your story and the story that you're putting forth. Because after you launch and after you start getting that traction, we're going to start looking at the numbers. And the numbers are going to be the ones telling the story. And there's no energy that you can bring to the room that's going to speak louder than the traction that you have speaking for yourself. So make sure that you make the most out of that opportunity before you've launched or before you have all of the metrics to really nail down the story. And this story is also going to help you recruit talent that's out of your league or find that co-founder or that partner or that amazing deal that's going to get you started. So practice that storytelling and hopefully you can get a bit of the energy that's in my voice flowing into you and you make sure that you give it your all the next time you're sitting in front of an investor so that when that investor goes into their weekly team meeting or something, you become unmissable and they need to stop the meeting to speak about you. Why? They're not sure why, but you got their attention. And I finally, sorry, I'm, I'm going over time here, but I'm very, very passionate about this subject. I always make the analogy of when you're trying to convince, let's say I got married recently. I didn't get married because I checked the items in the box. It's about the, the things that you cannot measure. And the same thing with a founder, like you're not going to get a VC check because you're growing 20% month over month, pursuing a market that's 5 billion in size with a product that is responsive or something like that. There has to be an additional component to that. And that's what you have to bring to the table because that's what's going to set you apart as the investor is trying to capture what are the signals that this could be this billion dollar business. So go all at it. Come on, energy. <laughs> Sorry, this is something that always gets me going. I don't know what the question was. It's amazing. And I think that founders that are especially starting something for the first time and don't necessarily know how to even begin talking to investors and how to engage the right ones and how to discern the kind of story that you should tell. It's so much of it is, as you said, it's the intangibles, particularly the earlier on that you are in your story. And it's your ability to show others why this is important and why you should be the one to do it that makes all the difference in the world. And at the same time, I think it's actually quite helpful to remember from the founder's perspective that VCs need you the same way that you need them, that we are all also 
just as strong as our portfolio and its longevity and the founders that we've invested into. And so I think that that really helps make the playing field a little bit more level. And if I may add, I always tell entrepreneurs that we, you and I, Yana, we have a job because of them and not the other way around. Yes. The ecosystem doesn't start because, oh, there's a fund and there's an associate and a principal and everybody, you know, ready to invest. And that fuels innovation. Innovation from the entrepreneurs, it's what justifies us being here. And we're getting paid to invest that money. We're not holding to that money for a better thing or for a potential ice cream parlor shop or something to, to build. We want to put it in the most bold entrepreneurs possible out there building stuff that's probably not going to work. But if it works, it's going to change the world as we know it. And that's what venture capital is for. Yeah, I absolutely agree. One thing that I have noticed about you and I really respect is how you think about your own individual overall wellness as a critical element of your work and your ability to show up every day with energy and passion and clarity of thought. And so I, I want to hear more about that. Where does that emphasis or that focus come from? What do you do to try and achieve that balance? And I want to be mindful of the way that I use the word balance of it's not necessarily this 50-50 split. It's whatever that means to you and however you need to find that place where you can, you know, bring your all to all aspects of your being. That's an amazing question, Yana. And if my wife were listening, she would be like, ha, you don't have balance. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so I understand where you're coming from. And I would say that any progress that I have done in that line has more to do with iteration from mistakes than any other thing. So if I know when to stop working, it's because I didn't know when to stop working in the past. If I know how to try to keep my nutrition in check, it's because my nutrition was off check at some point. But I'm going to trace back to something I said in the introduction that when I took those six months of just interviewing founders, I started to map and trace and really learn about myself. And one thing that I learned is, I wrote an article on this, my main learning from these six months was that when I sleep well, when I eat correctly, and when I spend the time that I need getting my affairs in order, I'm not only more productive, but I get more product out because you can be more productive and just like work for an hour and you don't get as much output as if you're working 12 hours in an inefficient way. But I realized that I was getting more product out there. And this became kind of like the premise around which I started to build the stuff that I do. And, and I remember joining Latitude. One of the things that I shared with the team is, hey, I work when I want to work. And I don't work when I don't want to work because there's no way I can push through stuff like this. But then, Yana, to your point, also on, on the energy that I bring to my day to day, it's not always the case. Sometimes I struggle like everybody here. I do realize that I am 
more energetic than most people. I've had two coffees today and I don't usually drink coffee, but just a disclaimer. But what I've noticed is also I, I fake it a lot. <laughs> Let's be honest. And what else? It's definitely not balance, but it is wellness. I tried meditating by some point in time. Of course, if you're able to meditate, meditate. I'm not able to, I haven't been able to meditate for a, for a long while now. And I'm trying to put myself in the perspective of the audience, trying to take notes on how to be more energetic or more productive or more extroverted. But that's neither good nor better. Not, it's just the way that, that I am. And I know and I've noticed that by bringing this amount of energy to the table, I can make a contribution that's relevant or I can inspire somebody or I can help a founder with their pitch. Or, so maybe this is just... In my case, the, the role that I am meant to play in the ecosystem. And we need people to fill up different roles. And maybe there's somebody more about critical thinking and can be more clear with or structured with their thoughts. And maybe there's somebody better at networking. And if you're trying to think, oh, who do I have to be in order to crack into venture capital in Latin America? You don't have to be like me. You have to be like yourself because we're in so much need of people helping the ecosystem that whatever it is that you're good at, try to be the best version of yourself in that regard and then find a way to contribute to the ecosystem. So I don't know if that was like the angle of the question, but I think it's important to touch upon that aspect of how do I break into venture and, and the overall wellness that sometimes I have in my job and sometimes I don't. Maybe this interview two weeks back, I would have been completely stressed. I am completely stressed because Argentina is playing tomorrow. And <laughs> I see it on my calendar and everything this week has been arranged around that. But yeah, I wouldn't call it balance. I don't strive for balance. I like to think that being in motion is, by definition, losing balance and recovering balance all the time. A runner is constantly losing balance and recovering balance and losing balance and recovering balance, moving in the direction that you want to move. And if you fall, you get back up and you go back at it. So those are my thoughts. Wow. You gave me a better answer than I could have ever hoped for, because I think it's easy to sometimes look at someone. And by someone, I mean it's someone's job or someone's personality and on a given moment or day and think, wow, they have it all together and they figured it out. And I really appreciate actually the humanness and the self-awareness and the just the sincerity with which you shared what that means for you and also when it doesn't come easily and when it doesn't feel like you have found that. So I, I really appreciate the honesty with which you shared that with us. I, I think equally the people that tune in and that listen to this want that and want to hear from people having real human, full dynamic experiences that range depending on the day and almost never look the same two days. Thank you, Yana, for your comments and for the platform to say this. It, it was not something I was planning on sharing. No, I really appreciate it. I guess before we wrap, is there anything else that 
you would like to share with us? Anything that you would like to speak about, either things that you are personally interested in learning about or have found to be really interesting lately? Anything that Latitude is looking for or would like to be connected to? Anything you would like to share? I mean, so we're always looking for incredible founders building stuff and pitch me in the way that, that we just shared. So you can reach me through LinkedIn where, I, where I'm very active. Regarding Latitude, make sure to check out the reports that we have. And, and if you're considering whether or not you're fit to be running a company, first of all, you are because there's no manual or there's no like barrier there. But make sure that you pursue something, that you do it for the right reasons. In 2021, being a co-founder or being a founder or having that on your LinkedIn became something that many people craved. And the ones that were doing it for that are realizing that it's way, way, way tougher than they thought. And something that I've realized is that the people that are motivated by the problem that they are solving get like this extra engine to continue going. So make yourselves the favor of falling in love with the problem and not with the solution that you want to put in the world. Because it's really tough. It's not easy. It's lonely. It's challenging. It's very demanding. And if you're looking for support, Latitude is going to be there if you're daring boldly. And also, thank you so much for listening. It's I don't do podcasts very often. I'm self-conscious of my English and my talking speed. And if you've made it this far, I really appreciate you you sticking with me in this session. I appreciate you. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Marcel. It was such a pleasure. And I think you shared some really incredible words of wisdom with all of us. And you might say, you know, uh, it's not wisdom. It's just kind of what I've picked up along the way. But I think we all need to give ourselves a little bit more credit just for the lessons that we've learned through different experiences that we've had. And every experience is individual. And certainly the things that we've learned or our takeaways probably don't apply in the same way to others. But I think what we're hoping to create here and what I really feel like we did today together is just more conversation and openness about what being an entrepreneur is like what the role of an investor is, what is happening in the Latin American ecosystem, what are the challenges that it faces, where are the interesting opportunities, and how can we work together and bring more people into it. So it's been a really wonderful conversation, and thank you so much for joining us. We will be sure to add your contact information on LinkedIn, the Latitude Latin America report that you recently published, and a few other links and interesting resources in the show notes for people to access. And yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much, Jana, and everybody behind this for making this happen. And hope you enjoyed the conversation as I did. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Venture Boldly. We'll be back soon, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. To learn more about our ventures or meet our team, you can visit our website at alter.bc. That's A-L-T-E-R dot B-C. We'll catch you next time on Venture Boldly, an Alter podcast. <laughs>